St. Louis Public Radio's The Gateway gives you the day's news first thing every weekday morning. From the ever-evolving relationship between St. Louis City and County to developments in the Missouri and Illinois state capitals and reports from our correspondents in Rolla and the Metro East. We put it all in a roughly 10-minute package with clarity and context. Download The Gateway wherever you get podcasts. If you are a white person and you're not aware of it, then like maybe you'll start to see it a little bit, you know. And if you're a person of color and you experience it on a daily basis, maybe you'll have a little bit of relief that there are some white people out there trying to like talk about it and point it out. That's Sarah Paulson. She's one of three artists included in the Great Rivers Biennial, an exhibition of new work by St. Louis artists at the Contemporary Art Museum. Paulson's show is called The Invention of Whiteness. It's a cluster of stop-motion animation films around a single theme that allude to the social construct of race in America, and specifically, just who is considered to be white, and what does that mean? I'm Nancy Fowler. And I'm Jeremy Goodwin, your new co-host. And this is Cut and Paste, St. Louis Public Radio's arts and culture podcast. So hi, Jeremy. Welcome to St. Louis. Thanks, Nancy. Thanks very much. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, so you come to us from Boston. Mm-hmm. We're, you've been covering arts and culture for the Boston Globe mm-hmm. and other outlets. So what is it that you really like to concentrate on in the arts? I've been doing a lot of coverage of the worlds of theater and of music, classical, pop, what have you. Okay, so performing arts. Yeah, the performing arts in general, um, lots of theater. And I'm also interested in the business of the arts. Um, How are organizations finding the money to do what they do? Who pays for it? Who goes to the shows? Who doesn't go to the shows? Uh, Who is seeing their stories reflected on stage and who isn't? And how are people trying to get everyone involved? And of course, those are big issues in St. Louis as well. Yeah, those are. I think there's a there's a lot to dig into around here. And just putting my toe in the water so far, um, there's a lot of interesting work being done, and I want to hear from folks who are doing that work. Okay. Well, I know they'll look forward to meeting you. One hopes. (laughs) Well, I've enjoyed it. (laughs) Thanks, Nancy. (laughs) Well, let's get back to Sarah Paulson. Okay. She began examining the evolving definition of American whiteness uh, back in 2008 after a shooting at Kirkwood City Hall that killed six people. The shooter was Charles Lee Cookie Thornton, who was then shot and killed by police at the scene. Thornton was a black man and his victims were white and the tragedy threw a spotlight on the racial divide that had long existed in that St. Louis suburb. Sarah Paulson then joined a discussion group that was going on at the Kirkwood YWCA around the book by Shelley Touchluck, Witnessing Whiteness, The Need to Talk About Race and How to Do It. So we talked with Paulson about her films, which include original music composed and performed by Vernacular String Trio and Henry Claude. Her films explore white flight, fashion and consumer culture, and legal findings that defined whiteness. For me to walk around in the U.S. with white skin, I mean, so, okay, one, I don't have to think about being white or having a race quite often. Uh, I can pretty much travel anywhere I want to, and I'm not going to experience uh, racism directed at me. I'm not going to be followed in stores. Most likely, I'm not going to get pulled over. I'm going to have a better chance at getting a loan. Um, I'm going to probably be sort of more instantly trusted by some authority figures. It could advance me at work and school. So I think, you know, understanding 
that that there are ways that people experience me without knowing me because of my skin and that I need to have an awareness of that as well of how I walk in the world has been very big of course it's a it's an an example of white privilege that white people don't need to understand what that means yeah. and can walk around for a good portion of their lives or their whole lives without interrogating these kinds of questions. And uh, I want to say something that a question that might be in some of our listeners' ears right now, which is that, yes, we, we're three white people and we're here talking about this. And a message we hear a lot is that uh, it's very important to listen to experiences that we will not be able to relate to because of the difference of our experiences. Uh, but there's also an important place for white people talking to other white people about this, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the the idea of, of talking to other white people has been key to this work, to how I see my role as an artist and activist, um, that it is not the job of a person of color to explain their experience of racism in the United States. Um, and And in fact, there is a need for greater self-reflection on how whiteness exists as sort of a norm and how that sort of mm -hmm. sp has spread within um, our country's history. So I think for me, you know, look, this invention of the white invention of whiteness also really deals with this idea of, of like history and how did this happen over time? And for me, it's it's about this big and, and so I, I see that I see the the multiple videos at the exhibit as this this big and of of I, I sometimes I think somebody like a white person could hear the idea of privilege and be like I I don't feel as though I'm privileged mm -hmm. right. I grew up poor you know I um I had to work for everything that I have now and to me a lot of what this show the invention of whiteness is is getting at is is this and in the sense of like yes you may come from like an immigrant family history and your family may have had to assimilate as like a method of survival and you lost something culturally and we have this history mm -hmm. of like white skin privilege being equated with rights and that is something that impacted so many communities of color and some of the resources that I reference within these animations at the the cam show, like I can't, you can't deny that this happened, mm -hmm. you know. So, and that this still exists. Right, and and you know, none of the three of us are here to explain what racism is to anyone. That's not our place in this conversation. But as you say, trying to engage other white folks in these kinds of conversations is often a resistance there, and I think that's because it it feels like an attack almost to yeah. someone who hasn't thought about these issues. As you say, someone who is economically disadvantaged and doesn't feel like they're in a, in a privileged situation. Um, is your intent with this work to provoke those, that sort of a dialogue? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, the, I, I really hope to reach anybody who has lived in the U.S., and may or may not have felt these sort of edges or walls of, of race in our society. 
And if you are a white person and you're not aware of it, then like maybe you'll start to see it a little bit, mm-hmm. you know. And if you're a person of color and you experience it on a daily basis, maybe you'll have a little bit of relief that there are some white people out there trying to like talk about it and point it out and, you know, give, 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 va- give validation to your experience in your skin. I mean, I will tell you, I had a fear that people would interpret the show as me being some kind of white supremacist or something, you know, when I start to talk about whiteness. And so I think I like I also have to go to places where I feel uncomfortable. I think that I mean, that's also part of the work of of white of looking at whiteness, though, is getting uncomfortable with yourself. I feel like the the title of your show kind of puts a Puts a point on this, right? Would you just tell us what it's called? Yeah, the show is called The Invention of Whiteness. And it's so straightforward. It's funny because I basically when I I conceived of this of these ideas many years ago, I just kept kept calling it the invention of like, I'm going to do some piece on the invention of whiteness. So it was just sort of a a title that wasn't really yet. Yes. uh, Yes. They call it in the movies. They call it a working title. Exactly. It was just a working title the, the entire time. And then when it came down to the museum was asking me, what do you want to call this piece? And I just thought, you know, like, I'm not going to name it anything other than it is at this point. Like, this is what I have been doing and trying to understand. So I think what that puts a point on is this idea in, in American culture that white people don't have a race, that a, ra- a race is defined as something that differs from the supposed norm of or, having white skin. Exactly. Also known as other. Mm-hmm. Other. And if you th- even in, in the music business, right, um, R&B records were called race records. Right. You know, as if <laughs> here are records made by people who have a race. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know. mm-hmm. And I think that idea of whiteness, of white people not having a race or not being a part of it in a way is sort of a disempowering um, hmm. act because it's almost like, oh, you don't have to care about it. You don't have to care about your history or the impact of your of your skin color. And I think it's also a function of like our power structures and that, you know, to me, whiteness comes out of of like a desire for power and to keep those power structures invisible is to let them go on sort of unchecked. Mm-hmm. So for me, a part of this exhibit is also like trying to flush out something that is felt and seen in some ways, but maybe it's not always pointedly visible. I wanted to ask you something about the exhibition itself, um, about white by law. Mm-hmm. I wondered what your thinking was in that. It almost seems to be a, a lot of you know research of yours that we now see you're showing your work there, perhaps. Um, so could you tell me just a little bit about your thought process and your actual art process as far as that particular piece goes? So white by law was really inspired by a book with the same title by Ian Haney Lopez. And I read this book mid-fall, and he actually had studied in St. Louis, and the intro was about his experience of segregation in St. Louis. 
And when I read this book, it was sort of that jaw drop moment of why don't I know this history? This feels as though everything that I have built my kind of belief of self on is very unstable and false. So and this book is very dense. This is this is not an easy read necessarily. I highly recommend it, but I basically thought I'm going to take some of the the key parts of this book that really the key ideas of this book that really threw me and I'm going to try and retell this as an animation. Can I ask you so, um real quick to sort of describe what the the viewer the, yeah. the, the visitor would be seeing in that particular Yeah, absolutely. White yeah. So when you when you walk into the room, you see a a chalkboard and then there are several schoolroom chairs that are seated in front of the chalkboard and then the animation itself is projected onto the chalkboard. The animation is a lot of uh, drawing and silhouette. And so to me, it's about, once again, this idea of making something visible or drawing something through pen marks or pencil. And so it is about it for me sort of having a visual presence. And, and that whole space, I feel as if it's like it's a re-education. It's a very didactic piece does not have sound and once I realized it was gonna be so didactic I was like this just has to be a classroom <laughs> so yeah so you're you're upfront about the idea that here's some information I want you to to know exactly yes learn here come and learn something yeah if you don't know yeah if you don't know Part of it was because I had made the piece Passenger, which was very much about the sort of European immigrant experience of assimilation. Which is also in this show. Which is also in the show. And I felt like I didn't want to have a exhibit that was only being empathetic to like, oh, the poor white immigrant experience. I felt as though I wanted to have these sort of balanced narratives to the best of my ability as a white woman. And so when I read that book, I was struck by how both the way that law had argued whiteness and what was considered white or not white, and then the stories of these these brave individuals that fought this in the court system. And many of them were of all different uh, ethnic or cultural backgrounds. Yeah, I and, noticed that. There was a, a man who was, um, he had both Asian and, I guess, European yeah. heritage. Yeah. And your film talks about actual legal language where they're adjudicating what it means to be a white yeah. person, legally speaking. Yeah. And a lot of a lot of things were sort of self-perpetuating. and There would be law and then they would cite that law. Exactly. By the next ruling. Exactly, exactly. Okay. The term or, you, you call attention to, was it common sense or com- com- yes. common com- knowledge? Common knowledge, common which was knowledge. what did the r- random person walking down the street think, which was also then, um, you know, biased based on what what Congress had just ruled or biased based on what law had just been stated on who had a certain right or not. So it really, to me, 
like flushed out this sort of idea of like like a matrix like this sort of in this matrix of laws that existed and created whiteness and I mean, I think it also gave me gave me the sense of like, if you were an immigrant coming to the U.S. and you want opportunity, of course you want to be considered white. You couldn't vote if you weren't considered white. You couldn't run for office. You know, you might not be able to marry who you wanted to marry. And so there were just there was just a lot of like, for me, realizations in that moment of of what of what that meant uh, at that time period, and then how we're still living with that legacy. So the last time that the Contemporary Art Museum presented um, a white artist mm-hmm. um, talking about race mm-hmm. um, was Kelly Walker and mm-hmm. his show Direct Drive. And there was a, a big pushback about the show itself, but also his, the way he answered questions. And um, I just wonder, um, you know, and that indeed became like uh, a big conversation around St. Louis and, and, in fact, around the nation about who gets to present work around race, especially around blackness, but also mm-hmm. around race. So I have to ask you, was that in the back of your mind as you were uh, applying for this exhibition? I mean, certainly all the conversations, like, and what happened with Dana Schutz yes. in, in New with York. The piece. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think for me, the, there was a, oh, like, Claudia Rankine, I think that's her, I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name right, but she is a african-american female writer and her her writing really helped me a lot because she talked about how like as as a white person like or that white people need to start looking at what is in their life and start to see it as strange and start to kind of piece apart what this is versus trying to take on the story of a person of color so i think something that i felt very aware of is trying to tell stories that I felt like I had access to and that I felt like that the narrative was part of like my identity as well. And, you know, I did have a little bit of fear when I started to get into some of those pieces like White by Law where it was starting to talk about other people of color. Like, would I be crossing over that line? I think, you know, where it starts to be for me is it's like, that whiteness starts to be intertwined with some of these other stories. So as, as, as long as it still felt like that whiteness was still intertwined and it was still about me going back to kind of pulling apart what is whiteness, I felt like I could still um, speak to that subject matter. But I, but I do tend to be on the side of like, I don't want to take the story of a person of color. You know, I mean, that's to me, I would be like a support in telling that story. But um I think as a when I do animated documentaries, that was something that I was always um, aware of as well. And I think, you know, when I did LG to Connie, you know, I had I had interviewed predominantly white women and then I had interviewed Harriet Pat- Patton and she's African-American. And that was really helpful to me, though, too, because she also pointed out to me, like in the way you're representing Kirkwood, Sarah, you are mostly showing white people right now. And, you know, you need to you need to also like show that there is like this diversity to this community even if it is significantly smaller like that needs to be a part of that world too so that was something I think that when I, when I think about the works that I made for the contemporary it's like how do I represent both this 
this experience of, of whiteness and analyze whiteness, but also talk about it in the context of this larger world where things are overlapping and where, you know, the invention of whiteness is impacting communities of color, you know. So could you tell us a little bit about when you were doing the staff tour of the Contemporary Art Museum? So one thing that really struck me was one of the the women who works there, Tiffany Sutton, uh, she she's a African-American woman and she was actually worried that we would have the sort of opposite of Kelly Walker experience where we would where I would piss off of many white people. And I, I told her, if somebody's really upset, call me up and I'll come down and, and sit and talk with them. I mean, like, I kind of hope if I do upset somebody, that means I'm getting under their skin, which which like I would. I would like, in a way. So have you had any calls like that? Haven't had any calls yet. She said she's had a lot of good conversations and that um, she's, ha- well, it's interesting. So the thing I really love is because I know some of the the um, the people working at the museum, when I go by, they'll tell me, and they'll tell me stories. So one of the women working at the front desk told me that a person came by and said that this should be at all museums across the world. <laughs> and then another person said, like, thank God somebody's saying this. So I, from what has been translated back to me, there has not been this anger. So, I mean, maybe maybe if there is an angry person, maybe they're just not telling anybody to. But I am available to go to the museum if you want to meet me and talk about the work. <laughs> That was Sarah Paulson talking with us about her show, The Invention of Whiteness. It's part of the Great Rivers Biennial at Contemporary Art Museum, St. Louis. That show is on view through August 19th. I'm Jeremy Goodwin. And I'm Nancy Fowler. And this is Cut and Paste, St. Louis Public Radio's arts and culture podcast, produced with help from our editor, David Caceres. The music you heard is from the score to Paulson's films, written and performed by the Vernacular String Trio and Henry Claude. Our intro and outro music, as always, comes from local musician Eric Hall. You can find Cut and Paste at stlpublicradio.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Cut and Paste is sponsored by Gemma, architects, planners, and designers. If you have a smart speaker, you have access to the entire world of NPR and St. Louis Public Radio. All the latest news and all the captivating stories. Activate our voices with yours by telling your smart speaker to play St. Louis Public Radio.